Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. We have a slate of excellence today. Oh, I like that. You a like whole, that? A whole slate. A whole slate. What is a slate other than rock? It is a long list of items. That's a Dr. Herrera question. Mm. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So one of the things that you and I often talk about behind the scenes is when we are consulting one another, when we're working with families, is the tension we sometimes notice from parents between being loving, wanting to have peace at home. But then you and I are like, we need accountability and consequences. And so that brings us to our topic today, which is going to be, how do you know as a parent, if you are equating happiness and peace to the kinds of interventions you need to help your kid grow and thrive as an adult? I didn't say that very well. But what I'm trying to say is, are you too permissive? Are you permissive because you want things to be peaceful? You know, how many parents do we talk to who are just like, I just want my kid to be happy. If they're happy, I feel good, right? And is that actually what we need to be teaching and centering for children to grow into healthy adults that can thrive, that can really discover who they are in the world and be, you know, productive citizens. What would you add to that? I think the question came up because for me anyways, I was thinking about this topic. We are going to do an episode around grades, but I was in a little bit of a, and I think you and I talked about this. I was like, am I as a coach caring more than the parent is about this issue? Around grades grades. in particular. Right, around grades. It was really around effort, which we'll talk about. But like, should I care more than the parents care? And what are the parents not caring about? Are they being permissive? Like I was trying to figure out what the heart of the issue was. Are they actually being too easy on their kid? Or is it that they have different values and I should get in line with their values. I have since talked to this family, so I have clarification. Mm. So I have clarity around Good. what was going on for this family. But you're sort of bumping into these different kinds of expectations. Sure. And I think you and I know very well that we have high expectations <laughs> for ourselves, yeah. for the people in our lives, right? for the kids that we coach and work with and mentor. We have high expectations. and are those expectations fair? Are they in line with the family's expectations? Maybe the question is more directly related to, is it okay for a child to display a lack of effort as long as that lack of effort isn't, say, causing them or others real harm? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. 
violating some familial expectation or value, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm a parent and I'm cool with my kid getting C's because Mm -hmm. what matters to me is that they're happy and they're balanced and yeah, they don't try really hard. But they're a good person. But they're a good person. They're kind, Mm -hmm. you know, is that cool? Yes. That's what we're trying to talk about. And I think this comes up in different ways. Like some families might be like, I don't need my kid to have a bunch of friends and be really social as long as they're a really good student and they show up in class as responsible and respectful. Right? Right. So that could exist in a different scenario. That's true. So anyways, I want to talk about this because I do think it's something parents wrestle with. Yeah. It's like, what hill do you want to die on? Which is a horrible expression. In the landscape of competing priorities that one must face daily, hourly as a parent, and you're constantly, I imagine, sort of making choices about what to push on and what to pull on, I can really understand that, you know, and you have your own life, right? Work, spouse, whatever. I can really understand the ease with which it is to say, it's fine. Like, they're not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. It's not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. They're happy. Mm -hmm. It could be so much worse. So why care more about this thing then we need to, mm-hmm. or I don't have time for that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what do we think, Meredith? <laughs> <laughs> what do we think? Okay, I guess the first thing I would say is I am approaching this topic from the long view. I don't know if that's the right language, but when I think about the kids that we work with and have worked with, You know, we come into their lives when they're in adolescence. And so often when I think about what to do with a student in a particular meeting, I'm thinking about how this thing that I'm doing now is going to matter when they're 30 or they're 40. I think the prism through which I look at the work that we do with students is really about helping them grow into adults that feel an innate sense of capacity, regardless of what life sort of puts in their path. So if I am starting from that belief system, which I most certainly am all the time, then it would mean by extension that someone like myself is less okay with, say, a lack of effort that doesn't Mm -hmm. hurt anybody. Because to me, that means that that child is not developing a certain type of mental muscle and habits of mind that will put them in good stead through their lifespan. Yep. So that's where I come from on that stuff. Same. No surprise. You know, I was kind of wrestling with this idea because I was like, man, you know, during this coaching session, this kid was like, I was like, are your parents giving you a hard time about this? And he was like, no, that's really your job. And I was like, oh, Oh. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And it made me, I mean, that is a lot of what we get, right? Parents will say to us, oh, it's so nice that I don't have to be the heavy. (laughs) Yeah, we can be the heavy. We should talk about how we feel about that. About being the heavy? More specifically, parents telling us, sort of abdicating is probably too strong a word, but sort of releasing some of that task to us. Sure. It's kind well, of the same I, thing. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. But, you know, when I was talking to the student, that made that was the origin of this podcast was that I was like, huh, well. Yeah, what do you think? It is my job. And I, I kind of, it made me question, and I did ask him. I was just direct. And I was like, 
I mean, is it helpful for me to play that role in your life? You know, mm-hmm. it's a good question. Like, if it doesn't feel in line with what's going on at home, or it doesn't feel like he was like, no, I think his parents would want the same thing for him, mm-hmm. but they're just really not getting anywhere with it, with pushing him to work harder on X, Y, Z. Yeah. When it comes to academics specifically. And I think his parents have kind of been like, wow, you know what? This is really, we're not getting anywhere with this. The way that we're approaching Mm -hmm. supporting him, we're not really getting anywhere. And Mm -hmm. so he's hearing it from another person, me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to clarify with him that this was actually what he felt he needed. And then I had a conversation with the parents to clarify that this was also what they felt he needed. And I think that they were like a little bit, not torn. Torn is probably too strong of a word, but I think they also had to take a moment to be like, what about this does matter? Right? Like for us. And for me, it was really about effort. This is a wonderful child. He is got amazing character. Mm -hmm. When it comes to things he really enjoys. And when it comes or like effort, work ethic, yeah, discipline around things that he enjoys comes really easily for him. He's awesome. He's on it. He's responsible. He's trustworthy. But when it comes to school and academics, which he likes less, less so. And ultimately, I was like, for me, it's about what lessons he's learning as he moves into adulthood and when he faces challenges things that he doesn't like to do. You're going to college, you get four more years of school. Are you just going to do the bare minimum and get by? Is that going to make you feel good about yourself? Are you going to be proud of that? Right? And he was like, I asked him that and he was like, no. And I was like, okay, if that's the case, what do your parents need to change about how they're talking to you about grades and school? How are they going to need to hold you accountable? Right? In different ways. And I think This is the hard part for parents. And I think this is why they don't, like a lot of parents will be like, "Eh, it's enough. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, because as a parent, right, you have to make choices. You can't lean 100% on every little thing in your life, right? Like that's just not. You got to pick your battles. You have to pick your battles. You have to decide what is most essential and go from there, you know? And you and I have worked with, parents who, you know, I'm thinking of someone I worked with a long time ago and the first couple years of high school were quite dire. This kid was in severe mental health distress. And so literally school was sort of the last thing we cared about. This was when I was still in schools. It was mostly like, let's keep your kid alive. Right. And so you get to later in high school where now the kid is much more stable and actually able to engage in school in a more kind of typical way, but, you know, has skill gaps because they spent the mm-hmm. first two years of high school kind of just getting some therapeutic legs. And I got to be honest, as a dean at that point, I was sort of, I had a hard time motivating myself to care too much because mm-hmm. I was like, look how far you've come. Totally. You're happy, you're healthy. You know what? Who cares that that's late? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. So I think perspective matters here. But then towards the end, I realized that to maintain and sustain the strides that this kid had made around their mental health, she needed to continue reinforcing certain habits like efforting, like sitting with discomfort, 
like emotional regulation, all of which has an academic component to it at some point. So I think it's a tough balance. And think about it if you had multiple kids or you have little kids. It's like you're just trying to cook dinner. You know, you don't have time to have a reflective conversation necessarily every single moment. The other thing I think about, I've been working, you know, I've been working with a student. The questions you asked your student, I think are really good ones. Will you feel good about you? I think centering it there, most kids can kind of access, especially older adolescents can Mm -hmm. kind of access that ability to channel the future them. And I was working with a student who was getting solid Bs, some Cs, obviously bright. And the Bs were not a reflection of the difficulty of the courses. They were a direct reflection of the lack of effort. And I said, like, is this cool with you? Like, is this when we think about your values? Because we had done some values clarification exercises. Like, do you feel okay about this? And he's honestly, and I appreciated the honesty, was like, I feel fine about it. And part of why he felt fine is because he was so used to it. Mm -hmm. And I said, tell you what, would you be willing to kind of treat this as a little bit more like an experiment? And if we could spend the next month making some small adjustments and see what happens, see what happens with your grades, see what happens with how you feel. And you know what? If nothing changes, you feel exactly the same, like, cool, I'll get off your back. And lo and behold, not shockingly, you know, and he was a, he's a super willing participant. Mm-hmm. They're not all this willing. Nope. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. And we were making like minor adjustments, you know, study for 30 minutes, not 10, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I remember asking him like, well, how are we doing? How are we feeling? He's like, yeah, it feels better. I'm like, yeah. But yes, it does. And I think the challenge with the student is that he's not as willing of a participant and doesn't have the discipline or maturity to push through in this one arena of his life, right? And so the question for the parents was, how can you help hold him accountable? It's not about Mm-hmm. giving him shit about his grades mm-hmm. and being like, we're really disappointed in you. We know you can do better than this. Right. We're going to take everything away. Da, 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 da. You know, right. I don't think you need to lay into kids. I don't think it's helpful. I don't think screaming, don't think, shaming. They're, they're not very motivated. Right. To perform that way. And if they are, it's very temporal. Right. It's not effective. Don't do it. As those of you who have screamed at kids... <laughs> Who we all have, by the I way. I mean, yeah. We, we all have. Uh, I have screamed at yeah. kids. Welcome to the party. Right. They can be enraging. And there are moments where you feel like you need to do some screaming. But in this situation, I was like, I really don't think it's about being punitive for the sake of being punitive. Mm-hmm. But I think you guys need to get clear around expectations and what high expectations actually looks like for your son. Right. It or made for your family. Different. Right. And they had a older child who was very different. And this mm-hmm. I find oftentimes with parents when they've parented an older child who's like, let me guess the older child is easier in this way. Much easier. Yeah. Much more independent. Of course. Didn't need reminding, you know. Right. So much more self-directed. Much more so. And so now they're kind of like, got to recalibrate. Like, how do we help motivate this kid? How do we help support them? How do we hold them to high expectations? Like they didn't need to do that for their older child because their daughter had very high expectations for herself. If anything, they may have learned that they needed to do the opposite. They needed to help their daughter not have such exacting standards of herself that 
it ventured into unhealthy terrain. Right. Right. Exactly. And we see that in our coaching, right? Like 100%. There's some kids that were like, Ooh, you need to come. You need to go watch. You actually need to go watch YouTube. (laughs) You you need to go to a party. Right. Right. Exactly. Go socialize with people. Break one rule. Exactly. Go break a rule. Right. Totally. And so this is a very different experience for them in terms of like, okay, so how do we hold high standards? And I think this is what we're trying to help parents out there who are listening. How do you hold kids to high expectations, high standards, and provide the support they need to be successful and keep the peace while still helping your kids feel like this is not something we're imposing on you, right? This is not a punishment. This is not us forcing our will and our expectations on you. Like, how do you do that in a way as a parent? It's really- Girl, that's some (laughs) artful communication. It really, (laughs) truly is. What I'm hearing you say though, and I think this is a very concrete, doable thing for all parents. Yes. Is first and foremost, before anything can happen, it's important to define what are our standards? What are our standards? Frankly, I would define that on a spectrum. I don't think it's enough to define, oh- what does a high standard mean to us as a family? I think you also need to define if that's the, what does a low standard look like? What does sort of middling look like? Because the more clarity that you have, the more clear and consistent you'll be able to communicate with your child. And clear and consistent communication is the name of the game here. So I think first and foremost, I hear it as define the standard, define the expectations, get clear on what those are. I think with older students, it's important to include them in that process so that they have agency and buy-in. Adolescents will be less inclined to feel like something is being foisted upon them if they played a part in creating that. And I, frankly, I don't even think it's just adolescents. I think younger kids can be much more, you know, eight, nine, and 10-year-olds mm-hmm. can be involved in, the, in these kinds of conversations. Just, you know, you have to calibrate the sophistication of the conversation. So that's the first thing that sounds really important. You know, something you said, though, that I think we need to be real about is the peace will not always be maintained. Like, to me, that is an example of a standard that is sort of impossible. When we are trying to change behavior or adjust behavior, that's hard. I mean, we're creatures of habit. Human nature is we equate survival with doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. So when we start to make adjustments to our behavior and you you do that in a 16-year-old body that has a sort of a fuzzy brain to begin with, I would not expect peace all the time. But I do think it's important maybe for us to normalize that for parents and for us to encourage parents to think about what level of tumult are you willing to put up with, right? So for example, it's a very different thing to me if a kid is screaming and slamming doors and having like a full-on temper tantrum than if they're kind of huffy and grumpy and sort of silently storm off and like kind of like keep to themselves for the rest of the night. Like those are not the same kinds of conflicts Mm -hmm. to me. But I would encourage parents to not give up either on the conversation. Because I do think, you know, after enough of those, even just huffy one word conversations where it's like, no, yes, no, meh. Parents are like, forget it. This is like, we're not getting anywhere with this conversation. Yeah. Right. But I would encourage parents to keep sticking with it 
I would practice how to, because I think for a lot of parents, it's actually a new skill to include your kids into the conversation and to the problem solving. Like, what do you really need from us? What do you want to work towards and why? And, you know, here's how we feel about it. And this is what we see, like helping your kids have a little bit of a reality check and parents like, please be real and don't exaggerate what you're saying, but yeah, help them see, and this is what we do as coaches, right? Like you have no time. Okay. Let's actually look at your daily schedule. Let's see where your time is actually going. I'm formulating this in my brain as I'm talking. So good luck, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I notice parents do when I'm on calls with kid and parent, and, and frankly, sometimes I do this too. There's too much speech. It's just too wordy. So one of the things that I notice is that a parent will say, we expect you to clean up your room. Let's just say something like that. And they want to include the child in the plan of how that's going to be executed, that chore, that task. And so rather than say, listen, our family expectations are that we all maintain our own spaces and keep them clean. And that's what we see is that yours is consistently not clean. And we need to figure out a way to shift that behavior we want you to come up with three ideas for how that can happen. And we're going to talk about it tonight at dinner, right? That's short, sweet, to the point, action-oriented. It has some boundaries. It has some expectations built in. What I see a lot of parents do is they get to the, we're seeing that your room is not clean. And then they go into this narrative and explanation and kind of frankly lecture about like the importance of cleanliness. And like, if you're not keeping your room clean, then this is like, how do you expect to go to college? And da, da, da. And they get, they go off on these. And it's not that anything they're saying is wrong. It's that you have to remember parents that the attention span you're working with here is like not going to track all that. They're, they yeah. are so going to get tuned out. So keep it short, keep it sweet, keep it concrete, keep it action oriented. And spare some of the philosophical opining because this is not effective. And I said, this is coming from someone who does that a lot with kids. And they're yep. and you know, I have a good enough relationship where some of my students will literally be like, Meredith, I stopped listening to you like three minutes ago. I'm like, oh, <laughs> next time, let me know a minute in when you've tuned me out. You're like, I'm seeing the eyes glaze over. Have I lost you? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I got it. I got it. But I think you brought up a really important point too, as parents are thinking about how to have this conversation. I think the concrete piece is really helpful. I would ask for tons of feedback from your kid. Like, please participate. Give me as much information as you can so that we can troubleshoot this together. And another thing is that here are three options, right? What I hear right. from parents a lot is we tried and he said he doesn't want any help. And I was like, well, that's not one of the options. Look, don't make that one of the options is nothing. Right. What do you want to do about this? Nothing. <laughs> like, no. Unacceptable. That's yeah. not an acceptable but that's part answer. Of it. But that I think goes to the first point, which is define your expectations, define the standards. So the expectation is we're going to have this conversation. You're going to have to come up with ideas. Doing nothing or doing exactly the same thing is not a card on the table. Hard stop. Mm-hmm. And that's the where parents have to be the backstop for these conversations, have to build in boundaries. One point I want to say is it's not always because they're obstinate. Some 
children, they just, they, they lack imagination. They really don't have ideas yep. about how to solve a problem in their lives. They really do need coaching to jog their cognitive something muscles <laughs> juices you can't jog juices that's what that's what was going that was the hesitation the grammar was bothering me sorry everybody sorry dad jog their <laughs> cognitive process <laughs> yeah maybe something like that something like that but yes you can help your kids brainstorm come up with ideas but please 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 from a very early age please do not let your kids think that they can get away with nothing as one of the options. The or early- I don't know. I don't- <laughs> I, let me tell you, let me tell you, parents, when I first start working with, with kids, like I have a new client and I can, I can always clock the ones that are going to give me the, I don't knows right away. I know you can too, Kathy. So this happened not too long ago where I had a new client younger and I was asking really pretty basic questions. I'm like, I don't know. I let them say it like, two or three times before I stopped. And I said, I'm going to stop you right there. It's like, I don't know is almost never going to be an acceptable answer in our meetings. So I'm going to wait and pause until you can think of an answer. You can ask me a question, but I don't know. Like I just shut that shit down because I don't know or nothing in a lot of instances, we know that that's just coded for, I don't want to do the critical thinking that I need to do that my parents want me to do because it's uncomfortable, because it takes effort, because it's hard. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, nothing. Mm-hmm. So I think this is part of holding your kids to high standards, right? It's like, we're going to have this conversation. None of us are going to enjoy it, but we're going to have it anyways. And if we're not successful today, we're going to have it again in another two days. You can think about it some more. And then we're going to keep talking about it until we get to a place where we all feel comfortable with what we've decided. I think that that's a lot of effort. And I think that's kind of where parents fall back on the, well, we've tried. Nothing's worked, right? Yeah. And I get that. And I think sometimes too, that there are parental relationships that need a lot of mending and healing. That's right. Before you can get to this place to have the conversation Meredith and I are talking about. You have to have trust. You do. We probably should have said this earlier. Yeah, I think a lot of what we're talking about does rely on trust and respect, that there needs to be a baseline of mutual respect. So if there's been a lot of violations of that, Mm -hmm. or at least perceived violations of that in your parent-child relationship, it's going to be unlikely that your children will warm to that to what you're saying. I also think the other fact on the ground is that if you're having these conversations with your child, hoping that you will see a immediate payoff, that is quite likely not to happen. A lot of what you're doing with adolescents is planting seeds that are not going to take root and germinate until they're 20, Mm -hmm. they're 23, they're 25. Mm -hmm. That's when you're going to get the behavior you want. That's when you're going to get the thank you that you've been desperately wanting for the last 10 years. And it sucks. I mean, that sucks as a parent, like, Mm -hmm. let's be real. Mm -hmm. And so I can completely understand why that would compel certain families to kind of take their foot off the gas with these conversations. And it makes me think about 
if your kid isn't giving you the gratification of thanks mom and dad, or now I see the benefit and the virtue of efforting more, right? Which like, that's probably not going to happen like that. Nope. And they're listening to us and they're believing what we're saying about, well, keep at it, parents, keep having these conversations. And they've got multiple kids and busy lives and competing priorities. It makes me think about what parents can do to sustain themselves because to look to their children to sustain them in these moments by gratifying their conversations is probably a f- that's ephemeral. I just don't think that that's like a solid thing to rely on. Mm-hmm. So I think for parents, you know, when I think about that, I think community of parents, you know, like solidarity with other people who share your values as parents who are experiencing, you know, because literally you're all experiencing the same things. You know, Kathy and I know that because we've worked with thousands of parents and the the themes are the same. And self-care, right? Real, authentic self-care. So you're able to sort of depersonalize the stuff that comes at you because kids can be very triggering. Yep. And I, you know, you and I are the same person because our, our brain waves are matching right now. Beep, 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 I was, beep, 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 beep. I was thinking That's a lot. That's brain wave matching. That was brain. <laughs> Good job, Meredith. Thanks. Obviously. Obviously, guys. So as you were talking about this, I had a similar thought, which was around, you're talking about parents taking care of themselves, being able to sustain the effort it takes mm-hmm. to hold kids accountable, Mm -hmm. have these difficult conversations. And one of the things that I wanted to say was, as human beings, we all want to be liked by the people around us. 100%. And as a parent of a teenager, you're going to be disliked. Yeah. And in maybe some really upsetting ways and hurtful ways. And you've got to build resilience around that and remember that it isn't actually not your job to be your kid's friend. They don't need to like you that way. They don't need to like you all the time. No, and they don't need you to be their friend. They actually don't need that. Also, let's normalize. And I hope this doesn't sound bad, but I also think you don't always have to like them as oh, a parent, right? No. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a, oh, hell no. You need to love them. Yeah. But you may not like... you. I, you probably do not like them all the time. Yes, I love all the kids I coach. I do not like them all the time. And that is normal if you're working it's normal with challenging. I mean, not even just teenagers are challenging. That's just part of their nature. They're going to push back. They know your buttons. And then the older they get, the better they are at pressing them. And I really encourage parents, if you are hesitant to come down on your kids or hold them accountable or have consequences or have difficult conversations or confront them about bad behavior because you're afraid of their reaction or you're afraid that they're not going to like you anymore, please let go of that because in the long run, you're doing your kids a disservice. They need you to be the guardrails for them. And you can't be afraid of your kid and you can't want your kid to like you more than you want your kid to turn into a thriving, healthy adult. My drop. Boom. Boom. I love that. Put that on a poster. I don't think that's a good poster. (laughs) I put it up. But I I like you a lot. You like me. I know. We talk the same. 
But it's so true. And I think that's so hard for parents because it's painful. And it's also like, as a parent, you want to avoid feeling bad. Like all human beings don't want to walk into a confrontation and have a difficult conversation where you know at the end of it, you're going to disappoint somebody, make them feel bad, you know, whatever feeling it is that you're going to bring up for your kid that's negative, right? Nobody wants that. Yeah. I mean, it really underscores the importance of mindfulness, and creating distance from our sort of default mode networks because kids will, ooh, they know how to get you in the feels and trigger whatever unresolved shit you got going on. Like they are so good at that. They are so good at that. Um, Ninjas. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I was talking to a friend of mine who has a young kid and even the young ones. Well, the young ones, especially she was going on and on and she was telling me the story and, you know, the kid was just having a bad day and they were getting into it. And she asked me some question. I said, you just negotiated with a seven-year-old. Like you've already lost. (laughs) Like you lost, you lost that one. It's okay. Lick your wounds, learn from it. But we do not, (laughs) we do not negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) Like if you are verbally battling and sparring, you know, and I've caught, rarely do I do this because I think we're just so practiced at working with teenagers, but you, the capacity to sort of rise above the fray in these moments of tension, in these moments of conflict, particularly if someone whom you love, whom you created is hurling things at you. It's so hard, but it's essential. It's really essential. And guess what? You're going to mess up. You're going to slip. You're going to yell back. You're going to be petty. Because it's okay. It's normal. It's human. And and that too is an opportunity to model mistakes, to model repair, to model connection after rupture. Those are all actually really important relational skills. But, you know, don't get into the weeds with your kids. Mm-hmm. And if you see yourself doing that, just excuse yourself from the conversation. This conversation isn't productive anymore. We need to take a break. We'll come back to it. Do not get into it because I will watch kids. I mean, you and I have worked in schools long enough to know that kids will want to (laughs) tumble. I used to tell kids every now and again, if I was in it, it it takes a lot for me to get here, but I'd be like, I'm going to need you to back out of my office slowly. Don't turn around. Maintain eye contact. One slow step at a time. (laughs) I love it. You can come back in 10 minutes and I will be ready to speak with you. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Bring a snack. Kathy, do you want to talk about our guest star today? Oh, Mr. Potato Head. Do you want to explain? Well, Mr. Potato Head is Meredith's new baby. He's a baby puppy because we know better than to have human babies. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we love the human babies. We do. But they are a lot of work. But Mr. Potato Head. Also a lot of work. Also a lot of work, but not as much work because we could just put him in his crate right now. He is in his crate sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. And he doesn't speak, which helps. He does speak. Well, he barks. He, and he occasionally whines. whines. But he and has no words. Which, and he did, there's no negotiating with potato. <laughs> there's not. No, it's like, no, you're going to bed now. Good, bye. Good night. Night, night. Oh, look, he's turning. Oh, he heard, sorry, he heard his name. We were talking about him. Go back to sleep. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Anyways, my friends, we hope this was helpful. It's a hard one. It is a hard one. And I think you hear us working it out as we're talking about it in some ways because it's nuanced and challenging and there's lots of humans involved. 
Well, because we struggle with it as coaches, right? Because I've been where you are as a coach many times where I question, am I pushing something more than the family or something that is out of step with the family's values? Am I pushing this kid too hard? And it's an art. It's an art because every kid, you know, I have certain students I work with that I can, I know, and they know that I know I can push them pretty hard. Yep. I literally said this to a kid the other day that I've been working with for three years. I said, imagine if one of my new clients who was younger than you was listening to this meeting right now. They'd be so horrified to work with me because I was just going in and he was laughing because we have that trust and report built. We in and, and he responds better to me being like, that's nonsense. Cut it out versus. Right. So let's think about blah, 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 blah. You know, he, he just, he won't, he'll tune that shit out. Right. And parents I'm sure it's annoying in some ways to be like, oh, this other adult can come in and say the exact same thing. Totally annoying. (laughs) That we say. And for some reason, it's received really differently. And that's okay. I think partnering with adults is really helpful. So like having teachers, counselors, therapists, whoever, you know, coaches who you can partner with is really important. But I do think that the key is that it is a partnership Mm -hmm. and that as the people who don't live, like when we worked in schools and we were mentoring and working with kids and counseling kids, like we're not at home living with this kid 24 seven. And we are not the ones who can say, here are the consequences. If you don't do X, if you don't spend three hours today, Working on your A push project. <laughs> right. Right. Like we need to, you know, like I'm not at home. I don't get to see that. And I think for parents, it's exhausting. I mean, I get it, right? It's really hard. It's really exhausting. But your kids really need it. So how do you make that happen? And in partnership with people like Meredith and I, who can actually tell your kids their business. And what I also told this kid on my last call with him, and I was like, I talked to your parents, get ready because <laughs> your life's about to change. Yeah, stuff's about to shift. Yeah, in things your are going to change. How do you feel about that? He's like, I feel okay. I think I need it. Yeah. Great. They Super. Are, kids know they need boundaries. They do. And sometimes they're, even though they act like they don't, they are so resentful, so hurt about it, they ultimately see that, oh, you know what? Some of them really do have the maturity and sense to be like, you know what? I kind of need it. A lot of them. I mean, they just may not give you the satisfaction of admitting it, but deep down inside a lot of, you know, they're not, they're not dumb. They are not dumb. Mm-mm. They're actually pretty savvy. Super savvy. Yeah. A little too savvy. A little too savvy. So anyways, this episode is just to give you the encouragement, parents, to stand your ground. Don't let your kids bulldoze you. Let them know. More in the clear. moments where you're not going to be liked. Learn what your coping strategies are going to be when your kid does not like you and the way that that's going to hurt you. Yes. Because it's going to happen. And those moments are probably happening because you're doing something that's really healthy for them. 100%. Cool. I mean, solving all the problems. Yeah, we are. That's how we do. One open-ended question at a time. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode. And we will see you soon.